tallest building in the world is called the Burj Khalifa. I hope I pronounced it correctly. It's in uh, the UAE, and it is in a town called Dubai. Now, the UAE has a couple of interesting places, and it's a really bad dad joke. You want to hear it? They don't watch the Flintstones in Dubai, but the people in Abu Dhabi do. <laughs> there you go. So you can share that with your friends, guys, and, uh, and all that. But uh, it's a huge, huge building. Right now, it's the tallest. They're working on another one. They've been working on it for a couple of decades, though, so we don't know if they're going to make it. It's 3 million square feet, 163 floors, and a half mile high. If I would uh, live there, I would want to live on the first floor because the Lord says, Lo, I'm with you always. <laughs> the foundation is 59,000 cubic yards of concrete, 110,000 tons. And so we have a picture of it here in uh, Dubai, in the nice uh, place that, that it is. I hope it's up there. It'll be up there magically in a moment. There it is. And you can see how it towers literally over uh, everything. The spire alone would be considered a skyscraper. Now, these things have become bigger and bigger over the years. If you look at the next slide, from 1901 till now, which actually we're a year behind there, but it's still the tallest. You can see way over there on the left, that's Philadelphia City Hall in 1901. That was the tallest building in the world up to that time, and somewhere around 1970, you can see the Twin Towers and things like that. Somewhere right around that uh, time is when all of the tallest buildings left America, and now they're in other places. But in order for this Burj Khalifa one on the far uh, end of that uh, photo uh, to be done, there uh, was that foundation of 110,000 tons. And they had uh, uh, the kind of uh, system that they used is called a mat system. So they would take, we, they call them piles. They just looked like, well, I grew up in Arkansas. We called it rebar there, but he just uh, goes down into uh, the ground. And they're not thin ones. They're huge your mama size ones that go down into the ground 164 feet deep almost like a root system on top of or below uh, the, the foundation uh, of concrete itself this is the kind of foundation that has to be done in order to go up that high and as you've probably figured out um, from uh, the theme of the songs this morning and also from uh, what we're reading here from Matthew 16, we're talking about the foundation of our life. And we're not just talking about the foundation of our life, but also the foundation of your church, the foundation of your family, the foundation of everything. What you consider to be the foundation or what you actually go to determines how far you're going to go and how far you're going to grow this coming year in 2024. And this being 22nd Street Baptist Church, you might guess that we're going to we're going to implore you to make Jesus the foundation of your life and the foundation of your church uh, this coming year. But I just want to stress how important that foundation is to you. What do you go to? Let's look here in Matthew the 16th chapter. 
We're going to go from uh, verse 13 uh, to 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, uh, this is free. You don't have to tithe on it. The Caesarea Philippi is going to be very important. It tells us where Jesus is and how we know uh, what some of the things in this passage mean. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And it's an interesting response. Simon Peter answers for everybody. Now, Simon Peter gets a little bit of a tough rap because he's always running his mouth. I really like him. I identify with him in a really, really a lot of ways. He's running his mouth, but he's really the spokesperson uh, for this group. We know because he had to pay a temple tax that he was the one guy out of the 12 that was over about 21. All of the rest of them were younger than that because Jesus and Peter had to pay a temple tax. We see that in the Gospels. And so here they are having to pay that. None of the others had to do that. The Pharisees were giving them all kinds of a hard time uh, because of that. So uh, we know that. And did you catch that? The church, the church began with a bunch of people under 21. Did you catch that? <laughs> uh, that's who it was. And when we talk about people, we talk about uh, adults, and sometimes we talk about teenagers. And if you're a teenager here this morning, you need to understand, Jesus banked his entire everything and what he was about on people who were teenagers. So this idea of teenagers, you need to let it go and realize that you're not the generation to come. You're the generation that is, all right? Again, don't have to tithe on that. That was extra and free. Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You do not learn this from any human being. Now, I say to you that you're Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Uh, wanted to share with you, uh, Ashley actually wanted to share, uh, me, me to share with you this morning a little bit about the church that is being uh, born uh, in the southwest part of Tucson uh, that I'm pastor of. Uh, we have uh, stolen a few people from you, at least temporarily. Uh, Lee and Julie are part of our, Newsteads are part of our group. Uh, you may know Lee is a part of the leadership team here. And the Karnashinkos are also here, uh, and they're part of our uh, group as well. Uh, back here on the, your right is uh, Graham. Uh, he's the associate pastor. Also happens to be my son. And then uh, my other, uh, another son is there by him, William Matthew. Hello. And then Robin is sitting by Julie. So, uh, we are starting a new church uh, in uh, the southwest part of Tucson. The area that we're going to or we're in, the Star Valley or the Valencia West area, Star Valley specifically has about 20,000 people in it, uh, zero churches. That's in Tucson. Tucson is 90% unchurched to begin with. That is your context. 
And so we are out there uh, trying to begin a, a new church plant. So we're going to begin weekly services in our house and then monthly. And then by uh, this fall, we pray we'll be able to be monthly uh, in a public school, which we've been meeting in just on a monthly basis. So you've been praying for us. You've sent people to us and for us to be, as, be missionaries with us. So we're grateful to you. Also, through your cooperative program giving, uh, as the new year starts, you'll start to hear more about Annie Armstrong and uh, the North American Mission Board through your giving. Uh, through that, we're also able to be here and uh, to be part of um, the mission to see Tucson become a hard place to get to hell from. Well, that's what we're all about. And here, it begins with Jesus. Now, you might say the church began, uh, you know, in Acts 1-8 or Acts, uh, the first chapter when uh, Jesus had ascended to heaven and then Peter preached the first sermon. But you'll see here, this is the first mention of what church is. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means uh, here in a little bit. But this is the beginning the birthing of the church. And it begins with this question, who do you say that I am? Now, for your church, for your life, that's a significant question. Now, I don't mean to ask that like, who do you say I am in like, what's your opinion of me? Although that's what Jesus was asking. What are people's opinions of me out there? What do people think of me? It's important to remember that no matter what we think of God or what we think of Jesus, it actually doesn't change him. He is who he is. He was who he was, and he is who he will be. But as it affects our personal lives, how we answer this question is of utmost significance. Who do you say that I am? Our culture is full of people that are hijacking Jesus for their own cause. Everybody claims Jesus. Just about everybody is like, oh, Jesus is with me. And uh, a guy here uh, named Josh Howerton, he was on Twitter. By the way, if you have ever been on Twitter, never go there, Simba. You don't want to go there. But if you do... <laughs> and go where the light touches, you'll see things like this. You'll see lists. And uh, Josh, he says, beware of lists like this about Jesus. Jesus fed the hungry, loved the poor, was a brown-skinned Middle Eastern undocumented immigrant, was outraged at systemic injustice, elevated women, defied the patriarchy, eschewed religious power dynamics, gave health care to those who couldn't afford it, be like Jesus. And while some of those are true, they're a little bit more descriptive than, and not prescriptive. You could also make a list like this from the Gospels. Jesus fought for a traditional definition of marriage. He opposed sex outside of heterosexual marriage. He loved his country. He defied cultural elites. He chose 12 men to lead the church. He affirmed that gender is defined by biology. He fought for the infallibility of the Bible. He said people who didn't believe in him did not know the Father, God. He was part of a traditional family, and his followers approved the righteousness of military service. Be like Jesus. Everybody wants to pick and choose aspects of Jesus to make him 
the mascot of their personal cause. But Jesus is a Lord, not a mascot. Jesus doesn't submit himself for our causes. Our causes must submit themselves to Jesus. It's one of the values of our church. We don't change the Bible. We let the Bible change us. And here, Peter and his uh, other buddies, the disciples of Jesus, are being asked, who do you say that I am? Everybody else is saying you're Elijah, this or that, this prophet. They like you, they don't like you. Who do you say that I am? And the answer to that question for you personally is going to determine the trajectory of your life. Are you going to go and grow with God or are you going to be stunted and not able to be able to be a follower and be a disciple as he asks us to be and invites us to be? Being like Jesus means Jesus is Lord. It means that we get to ask all the questions and he listens, but we don't get to ask questions and then make him in our image. If he is a God and he is, if he is our God and if he is our Savior and if he is our Lord, our minds have to change to who he is. If he is our Lord and he has given us the scriptures, our hearts have to change toward what the scriptures say not the other way around. And it is very difficult in our culture to walk along and to, to live along and to uh, take that kind of uh, stance. You're going to make everybody mad. Did you know that? You're going to make the liberals mad. You're going to make the conservatives mad. You're going to make the super church people mad. You're going to make the unchurch people mad. Everybody's going to be mad at you because you're somewhere with Jesus in the truth. And it's not even the middle spot. It's just truth. And at some point, we offend people because we just simply stand. Not because we're yelling or screaming about it, but just because we stand. Boy, that name Jesus really, really gets under some people's skins. Can I admit to you that he gets under mine every once in a while? <laughs> when I want to think a certain way or when I act a certain way, and I know what the scriptures have to say, and I'm supposed to adapt to who he is, it kind of gets under my skin. Jesus, you really ask this of me? Jesus, you really expect this of me? Well, the question is, when it comes to that moment, is Jesus your Lord or is Jesus your mascot for your cause? Whew. Wow, somebody started preaching about 10 seconds ago. But if we're going to make the, Jesus the foundation of our life, we go to him on all things. Have we prayed about it? That's my son's, my youngest son's always. In fact, I, I went to Hobby Lobby and bought a little a thing. It says, have you prayed about it? Because whenever I'm getting kind of wound up, that's what he's, well, have you prayed about it, Dad? And I'm just like, I don't like you right now. But that's a good question. Have you prayed about it, or have you Facebooked about it, or Instagrammed about it, or called your buddies, or called your people uh, about it, looking for affirmation of what you already think you want to do? Have you looked to the scriptures about it? Quit looking for a sign. Start looking for a scripture. Be like Jesus. All right, y'all ready to move on? Because that was tough. Who or what is the foundation for your life decisions? How do you make your decisions? Do you go to uh, the scriptures in Christ or 
you go to yourself. Here, he says, you're the son of God, the son of the living God. And he replies, uh, blessed are you, Simon, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being, and you're not going to. Uh, that's Timbo version. Now, I say that you are Peter, which means rock. And his name was Simon Peter. Simon was a common name, but he uh, tacked on uh, Peter. He says, your name is Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. So there are two phrases here. One is Petros, you are Peter, and upon this rock, Petra, I'm going to build my church. So he's calling Peter Petros, Little Rock, which I kind of like because I am from Arkansas. That's our capital. Petros or Petra. And Petra means a foundation stone. Like, as Noah uh, sang here, and we all sang with him, uh, about the foundation stone that you would build your house on. And Jesus told another parable about that. If you build your house on sand, it will fall away when the, when the sea and the storms come. But if you build your foundation on the rock, and that's what this is talking about, a foundation stone, then it's going to stand. Whatever you would put your faith and your trust in, whatever it would be, except for Jesus, whatever it would be, I promise you, and I'm years old, so I've seen a few things. I'm not as old and wise as some, but I've seen enough to know whatever you would put your faith and trust in besides Jesus will always, always fail you. In the end, it will be a disappointment. It will be unfulfilling because it's not trustworthy. But Jesus, being God, being fully man, fully God as he was here, we talked about during Christmas, Emmanuel, he's God with us. Being who he is is always trustworthy. It's not always easy, not always easily understood, not always something that you're like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But it's always, he's always trustworthy. And Peter here says, uh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, look, now I'm going I'm to commemorate this moment. You're the rock. You're Petros. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, there are a lot of uh, Catholics in our area, and they... Uh, take this passage, and they say, well, that means Peter is the first pope, and that's where they uh, get that idea, because he's the rock upon which it was built. I want to share with you what this area that they're in, Caesarea Philippi, really um, was all about. I think we have a picture of it here. So if you look along with me here, uh, there's this spot. This is the Cave of Pan. Now, if you can see little there's little notches or niches out uh, to the right side uh, there. Um, and that is where, before Christ's time, they worshiped this god Pan. Now, this will date me extraordinarily, but there used to be a commercial when we had infomercials. Remember those? And it had Zamfir, the, the Pan flute. Is anybody else tracking with me? Yeah, the rest of you can Google it on stuff old people like. 
but he would play this pan flute. Pan was this little nymph god that hung around in the woods, and he was capricious and malicious and would do stuff to people like little bunny foo-foo. He'd pop them on the head, different stuff. He would just be like that. And uh, he liked a lot of uh, sacrifices, and he liked a lot of sexual stuff to go along with it. So you'll see on the right here, there's a little window-looking place. That's where they would sacrifice to the god Pan. And there was a spring coming out of that larger area there. That was a spring that came uh, through. You can see it actually at the bottom now. It's been diverted since that time. It's been a couple thousand years, guys. So, but during the time uh, of Jesus, there was a spring that would come through that. And they would take the sacrifice and they would throw it into the spring. And if the spring, uh, the blood went down, uh, then uh, the God Pan had accepted their sacrifices. And some people ask, well, did it ever not do that? Probably not. I mean, it was kind of rigged, okay? So uh, they, they, they would do that, and that meant for prosperity for them, for this area. And that was a prominent God uh, for these people. Caesarea Philippi uh, was part of the Decapolis. It's called the Ten Cities. There were actually about eight during Jesus' time, but there used to be ten. They call it the Decapolis. This is the same area, these ten cities, that Jesus uh, healed a demoniac, healed a demon-possessed man, and they all went into the pigs. You can look that up later. So this is the area. They worshipped pigs. They worshipped Pan. And during the time of Jesus, not only was that part of the background but King Herod, the same one from the Christmas story, had built a temple to Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, in front of this. So this represented all that was pagan. It represented all that was Roman and all that was powerful at the time. And so Jesus is here and he's saying, right here, in this spot, and Jesus is likely, there is kind of a hill area, Jesus is likely standing over and pointing to this place. And he's saying, upon this rock, right in the middle of paganism, craziness, secularism, all of those things, and Roman dominance, I'm going to build my church. Right in the midst of your chaos, Right in the midst of everything pushing against you in our culture, God is going to build you as a disciple of his when you place your foundation upon him. Right in the midst of all that. And not only that, the Bible has a way of having double meanings. Not only that, this confession that Peter had made, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That foundation of Jesus Christ, if you build your church, if you build your life upon me, Jesus, then you're going to withstand it. And it says the gates of hell won't overcome it. So that's the question. What is the foundation for your life decisions? What's your go-to spot? Is it go to prayer in Christ? Is it go elsewhere? What's your go-to spot for when you need wisdom? And the scriptures say, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. But you know what else it says? But he who asks needs to ask in faith without any doubting. 
Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. He shouldn't expect to get anything from the Lord. If you stand fast and you stand firm and you stand on the foundation of Christ, no matter what is going on around you, health problems, family problems, Son problems, mom problems, dad problems, dad-in-law problems, mom-in-law problems. Too much month, month at the end of the money. Church problems. All of these things can be going on all around you, and you can have an undercurrent of peace and an undercurrent of joy that you live in and you live by because your foundation is not what's going on, but what's happening inside because of Jesus. And in order to do this, you have to be divinely empowered. Are you divinely empowered? And this here, this spot, you ever wonder what the gates of hell look like? It says the gates of hell will not stand against it. Those are the gates of hell. Now, it's not literal, okay? It's not like, but the people of that area believed that this is where the gods and the spiritual powers and beings went in and out of the earth from, down to Hades, and then back out. That's what they believed, and the locals called this the gates of hell. So Jesus is standing here. And what does he say our fight is against? Our fight is against other people. Our fight is against society. Our fight is against the Democrats. Our fight is against the Republicans. Our he never says any of that, does he? He says our fight, our battle is against spiritual powers and principalities. You do have an enemy. And his attempt is to destroy you. He can't take your eternal salvation if you're a follower of Jesus. So what does he do? He just, well, where I grew up, again, Arkansas, they would grow chickens. Anybody ever uh, raise chickens? Oh, my dear soul. And what chickens do is they peck at you. And they peck at you. And they peck and 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 peck. You ever have a toddler? Mama, 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 mama. That's what the devil does. Annoys you to the point you're like, ah! You lose your stuff, man. I mean, you're just dying. That's what the enemy is doing. He can't take your soul, so he tries to take your peace. And your foundation being Jesus, your run to, your go to, being Jesus, you'll find him trustworthy and you'll find him empowering you. What an extraordinary experience I saw it this week. Um, sometimes we wonder, wow, what would it have been like to be there with Moses when the, the seas parted? How cool would that have been? How ominous would it have been to be Noah when the rains the storms and the, the floods started to come. That would be wild. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll ask them about that. And then in return, I think they might ask, it was cool, but what? 
what was it like to have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling inside of you every day? What was that like? That's our empowerment, folks. That's our empowerment. And it is ours to receive and it is ours to utilize simply by personal relationship, simply by connecting to it. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Simply by connecting to the vine, we as branches are nourished, empowered, given all that we need. And the gates of hell, all of the devil's schemes, all of the spiritual principalities, all of the powers that would be the gates of hell itself cannot overcome you, cannot defeat you as a church, as a person. And then we do gather around. You know what a church is? We get this term from ecclesia. I don't really know where church came from. Some Latin guy messed it up. But it's ecclesia. Ec meaning out, ecclesia meaning called people. It's really not a church or religious term. It's a Roman term. These people in Caesarea Philippi would have been, they were colonized. The Decapolis was taken over by the Romans. And what they would do is they would take people from Rome or from Roman cities, and they would uh, move them to places like Caesarea Philippi, and they would be called the Ecclesia. Their job was to show people what Roman life was about, their job was to say, hey, this is the Roman law. Hey, this is how we worship the gods. Hey, this is what kind of tribute you have to pay to this certain god of our city, et cetera, et cetera. They would show them what Roman life was about. So Jesus hijacked the term, and he said, you are the church. You are citizens of heaven living on earth. You are to show people what the Jesus life is like. Show them who I am by how you live. Show them what I am about, about by how you love. Show them how we're in unity by how you treat each other. This is how people know you're my disciples if you love each other. Things like this. We are the church. So you're not just by yourself doing this. All right, my foundation is Jesus. You have people that you can lock arms with, and they are in the room with you right now. You can lock your arms with them, and they will walk with you as spiritually and divinely and Jesus and Holy Spirit empowered people simply for the trusting and the receiving of it. That's what you're promised from Scripture's that's your, what you're promised from Jesus. He sent the Spirit to live inside you. What a joy. So that no matter what's going on, you can overcome it. And you might notice, and Lee pointed this out to me during our Bible study, that it says the gates of hell won't be able to stand up against you. It's not like we're in a little 22nd Street Baptist Church holy huddle. Oh, devil, ooh. No, we have authority, not on our own, but from Jesus himself. 
to live his life, to speak his word, to show his way, to demonstrate his love and his power in a place that is pagan, that is uh, secular, that is antagonistic toward him in every way, and yet we have authority and a responsibility and a privilege and an honor to show who Jesus is. As citizens of heaven, that's where your citizenship is. I don't know. You might get mail there, zero one heaven. I don't know how you get that, but you're a citizen there. That's where you belong. This is just a place that we show God's power and love to as we go. And this year, you know, it's a New Year's resolution kind of moment. This is a great time to fully and completely and totally, maybe finally, say, all right, Jesus, I surrender it. I trust you. You're trustworthy. I'm going to build my life. I'm going to build my family. I'm going to build my finances. We're going to build, you're going to build your church through us. It's not, hey, let's go get it for Jesus. It's surrender and trust in Jesus. And the empowerment goes through you inside out. That can be your life. That can be who you are. Let's do this. Let's pray. I was going to come and sing. And during this time, I want to invite you to do a couple of things. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you don't have that empowerment in you. You have an opportunity to receive him today. Follow his mercy and become his follower. Receive forgiveness of sins and have the Holy Spirit come inside of you. And if you would like to do that, there will be people here to speak with you, to pray with you. You can do that right where you are. I invite you to do that. And if you're a believer this morning, I want to invite you, even now, to commit everything that you have, surrender everything that you have over to Jesus. Say, all right, Jesus, I surrender it. I'm going to make you the foundation of my life, not my wisdom, not my street smarts, not what everybody says on social media, says on social media, but you, your word, your truth, and you alone. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming and being our Savior, coming to earth, dying for our sins, raising yourself from the dead by the power of God and ascending to heaven to rule and to reign. And you've sent the Spirit to live inside of us to be empowering so that we can do your will. And by your authority and by your name, Lord Jesus, we walk from here as your disciples, as your church, to show who you are in this place so that your kingdom can come to Tucson as it is in heaven. Amen.